and that we get to talk about prayer yet again. I want to kind of get you going with that by thinking about who do you want to be when you're old? Uh, I know we're all, you know, young-ish, and, and maybe, you know, I think often we just kind of live moment by moment, and then that becomes week by week, and then suddenly you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's almost June, and then the years go by, and then one day you're just going to wake up and just be old. Like, you're just going to be old one day, and, and your bones won't work quite so well, your memory won't work so well, uh, and you'll be retired, and you'll be wondering, what is happening with me, and who did I become? So I want to, like, force you to ask the question, who do I actually want to be as an old man or as an old woman? What do I hope that God would have done in me, changed me? How do I hope to, to dwell with him? Who do you hope to be in your core? Uh, not just like which beach do you hope to be on or whatnot. And, you know, just so you know, we're, none of us in this room are going to save enough money for retirement. That's my financial advice to everyone. Brad's, Brad Porter's like, yep, uh, we're not. So, you know, I don't want you to think about, all right, what kind of job am I? Am I going to be a greeter at Walmart or something? But uh, I'm sure there'll be jobs for us at Trader Joe's. It'll, it'll, it'll go that way for us. But anyway, not that, but who do you hope that you will be? Uh, I have a picture in my office. I inherited it from my grandparents. Uh, it was, it's actually, this is my little sad story. I was supposed to inherit lots of things from my grandparents, like uh, there's this big elk head. And this is probably why I didn't get to get it, because I'm sure there's a proper name for that besides elk head. But, uh, and this lamp that was the hooves of that elk, like they were all four hooves put together. Yeah, it was a little gross, but it was cool. It was in my grandfather's office. Uh, but when, when, my, when my grandmother died a few years after my grandfather had died, uh, I was, you know, living here. So all I did was take a few things in my suitcase, and then the rest was going to come to me. Well, it was coming to me, it all got stolen uh, in uh, El Paso, Texas, which is, which is sad. Uh, but I did, I'm so thankful for the things that I shoved into my suitcase because there's a picture in my office that, that I inherited uh, that was hanging up in my grandparents' house. And you can show the picture. Oh, yeah, there it is. And, it, and it's right next to where I work, and I see it every day. And I put it there because it reminds me of who I want to be when I'm old. And this isn't of my grandfather. It kind of looks like Eugene Peterson. So uh, there you have it. But I love, like, he's got a Bible, and his glasses are down, and he's got bread and soup. And he's, it's like his hands and his face, he's been through some stuff in life. And we're all going to go through some stuff in life. But there he is, hands clasped. It's a picture of a dependent, kind of holy, reverent man who's still at the right, he's, he's gone through all this stuff and he's still clasping his hands together, thanking God for bread and some soup. And that's who I want to, I want to be like that. Like that's who I want to be. Uh, desperate, dependent asking. To be a person that, uh, that, that becomes like that when I'm old, I, I know that it's going to require a lot of intentional focus today. Like, you don't just accidentally become that man. Uh, you don't accidentally, there's also, I have one also of, a, of an older woman. I should have taken a picture of that too, but that's what I relate to, so sorry, ladies. There's also one of an old lady doing the exact same thing, but you don't just wake up 
as a 70-year-old and have the character of a person who walks closely with God. It doesn't just happen accidentally one day. Uh, If you aren't learning how to do that when you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, if you're not daily saying, I want to become the person that walks closely with God, being transformed from one degree of glory to the the next by Jesus, you don't become, become like that. And so that's why uh, we're even taking the season to learn how to pray. That's, what the, that, that's why we're doing all this, to learn how to ask God, to learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit, to learn how to become dependent on Jesus. That's the whole thing, really. Like, that's the whole package of, uh, you don't have to come on the June 12th anymore. Like, that's, that's, what, that's who we are as a church. That's the whole goal. That's the whole desire. It's who I want to be. It's who, who I hope you want to be. It's a person who just knows how to hear the Spirit and read the Scriptures and depend on Jesus in prayer. And, and the thing that's, that's true for us, because I, we as a church, we go day by day and week by week all the time, just super busy, like figuring out what we're going to do for our next missional community meeting or whatever. But we're really playing the long game. Like, what's all this disciple-making stuff about? What's all the, the missional community stuff and structures? What's the DNA groups? It's all about this long game of being a people transformed over time. And that's our longing as a church for, for each of us, for each of you, is that we would be complete and whole and transformed into the image of Jesus. More and more walking by the Spirit every day. Uh, and that's the work of the church, you know, that we would do that. Uh, become the kind of people that pray in struggles and in celebrations and tragedies and in triumphs and all the mundane stuff of life, uh, that we together with all the saints would hold on to this glorious and simple life of knowing God, the creator of all things. Uh, That's what Soma Praise has been about this whole time, and uh, that's what this uh, this last month has been about. And uh, today's passage, uh, I'm going to read it now, uh, is the same passage that we've been reading for the last four weeks. Uh, This is the last Sunday on it, so it's real sad, but it's from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Uh, And and it's coming where, uh, yeah, you'll see that these last few phrases kind of shift to what we might think of prayer is all about, you know, asking for stuff. Uh, And that's what we'll be talking about today. Luke 11, verse 1 to 4, it says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Uh, today we're going to be, we are, we're going to be looking at those last three requests. The, the give us, the forgive us, the lead us, those are, those are the big requests. Uh, the, the, the context of this whole situation though is uh, the disciples go to Jesus uh, and they come and they don't just uh, give this sort of, hey, could you mind, if you have the chance, Jesus, could you show us how to pray? What they do, actually, is they come and they demand of God. 
They come even with this command to Jesus. Uh, That's what, this is really dorky, I know, but grammar, English grammar, don't we all love grammar? Anybody else diagram sentences for fun in your spare time? No? It's so fun, y'all. We'll do a class later on how to diagram sentences. But if you want to like, the Bible is kind of hard, it's tricky, but really all of the, 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 the good stuff, even the insights, it's all in the verbs. You know, like, praise God that he, I mean, in his divine wisdom said, let's, let's craft the scriptures in languages where the verbs have all this, like, muscle. You know, thank God it wasn't English. Like, our verbs are, they're so lame. I apologize. But you know, your language is like, the reason everyone speaks English is not because we're so cool in the world, but because it's the easiest to learn, because the verbs are so simple. But Greek is a complicated language, uh, ancient Greek especially, and the verbs, these imperatives, an imperative is something that, that requires uh, something from somebody else. Like whenever you, you know, tell your kids, clean up, or when you tell someone that, you work, that works for you and you say, hey, give me that report or whatever it is. That's my corporate jargon. Give me the report. Uh, give me your TPS report. But that's the, the kind of demand. It's from one person talking to another saying, give me this thing. Do this thing for me. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to do this. It's this imperative. And what's amazing is that Jesus, who you know, has calmed storms, he's multiplied food for people, he's cast out demons, he's done these miracles, like dead people coming, he's done all of this stuff, and he doesn't turn around to them and say, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Like, who do you think, like, I went to you and I said, follow me, and now you're going to come to me and you're going to tell me, like, what I'm supposed to teach you? He doesn't do that to them, does he? He doesn't say, hey, who do you think you are? And in fact, multiple times throughout the life of Jesus, he has people come to him and say those kinds of imperatives. A lot of our great stories are those, those types of things. Uh, someone comes and they say, make me well, Jesus. Make me well. It's not please if you don't mind. It's just make me well. Or heal me. Or cleanse me. Or there's the part where one of his disciples is sinking into the water and is about to drown, and they they reach up and they say, save me, Jesus. It's these imperatives, and never once does Jesus say, who do you think you are to make demands of me? And what's even more telling is that what Jesus does after they tell him, teach us, he then, he says, all right, let me show you how to pray. I'm excited, it's what I want to do, I, I can't wait to show you how to pray. And then he teaches them the Father, the hallowed be your name, the kingdom come. And then he says, and he's teaching them and he's teaching all of us, use that kind of language with me in prayer. The give us each day our daily bread, it's another imperative. It's this command request. The forgive us, another command request. The lead us, it's another command request or imperatives. Uh, we can talk more imperatives later if you want for fun around the orange juice. But there's, it seems like what Jesus is saying is, and, he, and what we see through his life is that people have this regular desperation with Jesus that causes people to not just give these sort of simple requests, but to even to make demands, to make commands to Jesus to act. 
And Jesus teaches us to do the same thing with him. And the question is like, what gives us the right to do that? I mean, I think it's a worthwhile question. Like, what did we do to, to like get that kind of standing with God? Are we in charge of God? Like, that's a big trippy question. Like, is that what's happening here? Jesus is our like Santa Claus? No. What, what, what gives us the right is his nature and his desire and his will. Why do we get to demand and make these requests of God? Because it's what he is like. Each of these requests, this is so great, are directly tied to the identities of God that he teaches us in the prayer. You ready to go on some little comp? They call this a chiasm. Yeah, see, this is the bonus stuff that the people that went away on Memorial Day weekend don't get. A chiasm. Where, and this was a classic thing in the ancient world where they would, they would build these kind of speeches or little things that you could remember where it's like the top thing connects to the third thing, the second thing connects to the fourth thing, the third, and they were just these lines kind of interconnect, all right? So the first one, and I have a chart to help us understand this. The, 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 the request, our Father, the prayer that starts, it says, Father, there's a relational God, which we talked about, who knows us, who sees us, who cares for us. That's directly connected then to the, the request, give us. Why do we go to God and demand and we say, give us our daily bread? Because God is the relational Father. It's, a, it's an imperative that's based on who he is. Kind of like when my children run to me and they say, you know, give me a cup of water. I'm not like, who do you think you are? It's like, no, like, that's who I am. I'm the person that gives you water. When, a child, when my child comes to me and says, protect me, Dad. Like, I'm scared. I was like, no, like, you can't tell me to protect you. Like, it seems, I mean, that's like really broken fatherhood, right? No, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to. Kid falls down, scratching his knees, like, come and help me. You don't say, who do you think you are? It's like, no, I'm the person that comes, wipes away your wound, and protects you and cares for you. So this request, give us our daily bread, is directly tied to the identity of the Father. The same is true for Holy One. We say, holy be your name. Only you are famous. Only you are holy. Only you do not do any sins. And then we say, forgive us. If that's who you are, then I'm going to come to you, God, and I'm going to demand and make that request that you are the only one that possibly could, so you forgive me because I need it. It's an imperative request based on who God is, that he is holy. And then we, say, we pray, and he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Really great, that there is a king whose kingdom is advancing, and it's God. Right? It doesn't say, hey, you know, let there be a kingdom that comes, but it's your kingdom. It's tied to the, to the very rule and the reign of God, that there is a king who's bringing something. And then the request is, lead us. If you're the king and if you're in charge, lead us. Kind of like if you imagine like uh, a whole bunch of knights getting ready to go to battle and there's the king who's on his horse and he's riding towards the gate and the soldiers all turn to him and they say, you lead us into the battlefield, right? Why do they turn to the king and say, you lead us in the battlefield? Because he's the king and that's what he's doing, right? Does that all of that make sense? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Pretty, but that's what uh, each of those requests is based on and these imperatives are based on the very nature and the character of God. What gives us the right? Nothing. 
accept his identity and his nature and his will. Now, there's one other thing that you need to know about this prayer before we talk about each of those requests really quickly. The request of each of these uh, is first person plural. See, I wasn't joking about this, diagramming the sentences. So what that means is first person plurals are the, the we and us. All right, first person, so I and me, those are first person singulars. Uh, So the prayer isn't, uh, give me my daily bread. The prayer isn't, forgive me of my sins. The prayer isn't, lead me. They're plural. Each of the verbs, they're all plural. Uh, Jesus is teaching us to pray all of these things as a member of a collective, not as individuals. Isn't that quite the twist? That when we pray, it isn't for us alone or for me alone, but it's for us. These are the prayers for the church, of the church, that that we would know each other, that we would be desperate for each other, that we would go to God and not just say, hey, God, could you give me? He doesn't even put that as an option. He just says, no, you go to God and you say, we all need our daily provision. Could you give us? This community of saints, could you give us what we need today? Uh, These prayers are are all happening in the company of sin. So you pray these prayers, you make these requests, these demands to God with others, for others, and in the company of others. Isn't that fantastic? Prayer is not a one-on-one kind of sport. Even if you're like quietly in a closet somewhere or on your balcony in your apartment or something like that, it is a collective experience that you are praying for us, with us. That's what's so special about this season where we take four weeks because we intentionally focus on the fact that we are all together praying. Uh, it's to remind us that that's the case all the time. And so let's, let's learn about give us, forgive us, and lead us, all right? That's, that's, the, that's the setup, I promise. Oh, I can't make that much. No more grammar for today. That ends the lesson. But there's a quiz later on the verbs. No, I'm just, I wish. I would love to give quizzes. Anyway, give us our daily bread is the first uh, request that we're looking at today. Give us each day our daily bread. It's this prayer of just this, could you, God, could you give me daily? Uh, could, could you give me provision consistently? This is a prayer uh, that's for like this hour, this moment. And isn't that the definition of even dependence that we all try to spend our lives getting away from? But that, that this, these kind of needy things of could you give me my daily essentials for life today? It's not a prayer for the extras or the bonuses, right? Like, hey, could you give me a little bit better job? I I got myself a good one. Could you get me a little bit better position? I've got a pretty good one. Could you give me a little bit better, a little bit? It's not a prayer for the extras. This is a prayer and a cry even for, could you give us the essentials for living? And it's not just bread. I mean, there's a whole thing about the the, the you know, metaphor of bread throughout the whole of scriptures, it's, it's more than just you know, wheat and yeast and water. Could you give us the essentials for life? Today, we need it. It's not for the bonuses, it's for the essentials. Because we live in this world that is just often just too much. 
uh, that the burden of survival is often overwhelming. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, our, our LA prophet, he, he said once, you know, every day I try to escape the realities of this world. And the reason that he said that uh, and in the context of his song, is just this world and all that exists in this world is often too much to handle. And so everything I'm doing is just trying to survive. And that's what this prayer is. God, I need you today. God, I need you to do something today. Uh, it's the prayer of neediness to a God of abundance. Uh, Mr. Rogers I think him and Kendrick would have been friends, but Mr. Rogers, like, you know, the, you all grew up with Mr. Rogers, right? Mr. Rogers, he said this, he says, I'm fairly convinced that the kingdom of God is for the brokenhearted. So as you talk about powerlessness, join the club. We are not in control, God is. This is the prayer, this prayer, give us our daily bread is a prayer for the needy. It's a prayer for the powerless, the prayer for the out of control. And so the, the thing that, that comes up for me as I read these words is, am I needy? Are, are we needy? Because this prayer is for the vulnerable. This prayer is for uh, the messy uh, in Luke chapter 8, uh, there's a story of this woman who uh, has this medical issue, and she's bleeding, and she can't stop bleeding. It's been going on forever, uh, and she goes into this crowded place where Jesus is, and she, she pushes her way through the crowd, and then she grabs hold of Jesus, and she doesn't let go until she's healed. She's desperate. She's needy. People kind of freak out after it happened, like, who do you think you are? That stuff fills the air. But Jesus doesn't do anything like that. And it, it, it kind of just demonstrates, for me at least, like, this is a person who's so needy and so desperate. And when I ask myself, am I needy and desperate like that? I kind of think, no, I'm not. Uh, Paul Miller uh, wrote this about that scene. He says, prayer is asking God to incarnate to get dirty in your life. It says, yes, the eternal God scrubs floors. For sure we know he washes feet. So take Jesus at his word. Ask him. Tell him what you want. Get dirty. Write out your prayer request. Don't mindlessly drift through life on the American narcotic of busyness. If you try to seize the day, the day will eventually break you. Then he says, seize the corner of his garment, like the woman, and don't let go until he answers you, and he will reshape the day. You know, maybe uh, you're thinking, I am so relieved that I don't need Jesus like that. I don't know, that's kind of an honest thing in your head, but I think that's true. For, for a lot of us? Doesn't that sound awful to be desperate and needy like that? I'm so glad I don't need them like that. You know, that I only need them for the extras, uh, for, the, for the cherries on top, you know, and the sprinkles. Like Van Llewellyn, right? You get free sprinkles. That's what Jesus offers us. You know, you, maybe you watch families fleeing their nation as refugees, and you probably, maybe you think, 
I'm really glad that's not me. Uh, You might see people lining up at our local WIC office so that they can get food stamps, and you might think, man, I'm so glad that's not me. Uh, You might hear rumors of people that couch surf and live in their cars, and you might think, I'm so glad I made a few better decisions for myself, and I don't have to pray, God, give me a place to stay tonight. But friends, uh, you are that needy. You are. Uh, You're the brokenhearted. You're the angry, and you're the the anxious, you're the poor in spirit, you're battling loneliness, you're struggling to know who you are and if you have a place in this world, and you're making it through the day on these waves of busyness, but you're not living the day. It's a super strange thing. I I mean, I think it's strange to try to convince people that they're needy, like today. I thought about it a lot this week. So I'm going to get up there and I'm going to tell people that they're needy and try to convince them that they are. Uh, But the truth is, is it's almost like there's this mirage of control uh, in this world. And it's almost like it's kidnapped us. Uh, Like we have Stockholm Syndrome. Like we've been captivated by the busyness and the kind of immersed in American consumerism and the idea that there's this dream that we can just all be pursuing and that we're on this path and everything is up and to the right. And we're, we're so like immersed in it. We have the Stockholm syndrome of like, no, I like my kidnappers. It's really great. You know, it's, it's, I have this freedom from need, right? Or, you know, the, the American like line, right? that we have freedom from want. You know, and if maybe we think, man, if I have a need, I know what to do. You know, I'll download an app and I'll save more money in a better way. It'll make me track my budget better. You know, if I have some mental health issues, I'll subscribe to a podcast. Uh, I'll hire a consultant to organize my home and my schedule. I'll sign up for classes so I don't feel alone. You know, now maybe if push comes to shove, I'll really get my missional community to, you know, like show up and be better. But church, like wonderful church, you are needy, desperately needy for a daily dose of his daily bread, of Jesus giving you the proportion and himself every single day. All of that other stuff could be good and great, and I'm glad that a lot of us have jobs and incomes and stuff, but you are needy. In your DNA this week, we're encouraging you to, make, uh, to take time and just kind of even articulate your needs. Uh, it's in the booklet, like your physical needs, your emotional needs, your mental needs, your relational needs, and just to write them all out and say, I actually am kind of needy right now. And here's the hope, you know, that we worship a relational God who is the Lord of heaven and on earth, who placed the stars in the heavens and he shaped the foundations of the earth. And that creator incarnated himself and walked into this earth and then he teaches us. He says, when you talk to me, ask me for what you need. Demand, I need this. So ask your heavenly father to open the floodgates of heaven into your life today. It's so good and it's so hard. 
to be needy. The next request is, forgive us. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I lied, there's more grammar. Forgiveness, this word forgiveness, it's this amazing word that that, uh, has a lot built into it, but it means remove the burden, or cancel the bill, or stop the debt, or, you know, or leave us from sin. Kind of like take it all away. Remove the burden. And what, what he's telling us to pray is to go to God and say, I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. Remove the pain and the weight and the burden of sin. Because I live in this world where that's required of me all the time. I live in a world where I have to uh, walk through uh, the devastated and the constantly bickering and the lying and those maneuvering for power and the aggression, both passive and active. Like I have to go through that world and, I'm, and, I'm, and I receive all this sin and I sin in this whole world and I need you to remove the burden and the debt and the bill that's coming due. Like I can't walk any further. Forgive me. Forgive us. You know, this is a prayer for those who've received just like that blunt force trauma of other people's sins. The, the prayer that, that, I mean, this part that's attached to it, because I'm forgiving these other people. It's, it's like those who are desperate, who carry the burdens of sins that they've committed, but also the sins that are committed against them. This is a prayer for those in need of just a relinquishing of the deep Wait. You know, it's, it's, a, it's for the parents and the brothers and the sisters and the grandparents who not only have to grieve the murder of their children at school, but it's also for everyone who's in this world who's angry and tired and worn out from the effects of evil, of hatred, of indifference, of inaction. You know, this is a prayer for a people that live, you know, in a culture that, that despises children or is at least very indifferent. And as we talked about last week, indifference and hatred are kind of the same. You know, this is a prayer for people that, that, that lust so much that they're apathetic to abuse. Forgive us. Look where we are. Look, look, what, look what we participate in. Forgive us. Jesus says, he says, walk right up to the very presence of God, the Holy One, whose name is great, and you demand from him. You say, remove this sin from me. Remove the whole of it. Remove it as I even forgive others. Uh, There's a classic, you know, Paul Bunyan wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress. I highly recommend you read some other adaptation or a short story or something, and not the direct source. This is one of the only times I'm going to say that. It's a very complicated language that is not fun to read. But in that book, Pilgrim's Progress, it's this classic. The main character's name is Christian. I mean, the allegory is just like on the nose. It's, it's sometimes too much. But this, the main character, Christian, he has this huge burden on him that keeps growing and keeps weighing him down more and more. 
And he's kind of scared to get rid of it, but he knows that's the only way. Like, he's got to do something or he's going to get squished as this burden gets build bigger and bigger, almost like a boulder that's just going to squish him between the dirt and this burden. And so he walks this path, and someone's like, if you go there and you go to that place, the, the burden can be removed. And eventually he gets to this cross, and then there's this tomb in front of the cross, and he stands there, and he's terrified to surrender it. But he knows that he's got to get rid of this burden, or there's no moving forward at all. And so finally he surrenders to it, and it falls off, the burden falls off into the grave at the foot of the cross. And that's what Jesus is asking us to request and to demand of God. Remove the burden and the weight of sin. You know, prayers for those who come into the presence of a holy God and say, I'm not well. <clears throat> there's things I've done and there's things I haven't done. There's things you called me to. There's love that you put in me to give to neighbors and I didn't do it. There's a whole list of things that I've done. I'm guilty, I'm ashamed, I'm weighed down, I'm burdened, I'm broken. Prayer is for people to come to God like that and say, forgive us as we forgive others. Uh, just this big side note, like why do we do these things called DNA groups? It's so that you can be in an environment where you look to other people and you say, I am not well, I am in a society that is unwell, I'm in a family that is unwell, I need a removal of the sin and the burden of it that only Jesus can give. Lastly, he says, lead us. It's a good one. Brad asked, this is really tricky, it's really tripping me up. Evie's asked me once before too, like, what does this mean? Like, he says, lead us not into temptation. So is Jesus telling us that, man, we better go to him and ask him, hey, lead us not to temptation, because if we don't make that request, he's leading us to temptation, right? Like, that's, it kind of sounds that way, right? Like, all right, so you're in this life, and Jesus is kind of putting you in temptation after temptation, and the only way to get out of it is to pray to him and say, hey, stop doing that. Like, stop, stop putting me in temptation, uh, in Matthew, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, uh, from the evil. Uh, some translators do the evil one, but I'm just going to tell you my preference, the evil, because it's just a singular word. I can't stop. I'm sorry. It's good Meadow is not here. She would correct me later. Anyway, he says, deliver us from evil. Lead us away from temptation. Take us away from the persuasion of evil and deliver us into a path of your kingdom. Uh, this is a prayer and this is a request and a demand to God for anyone who's caught up in the raging seas of the kingdoms of this earth or the programs of this earth. And it's a prayer to be led out of that into the kingdom. It's a prayer to be led away from like, if you imagine that there's an alluring lion that's ready to devour us, and all we want to do is go up and pet the sweet, soft lion, right? And we, got, we, and we pray to God, lead us away from that lion. Here's, here's kind of like the, the truth, I guess. Um, you know what's keeping you from being like an old woman of faith, like to, the picture from the beginning, or, or an old man of faith? It's the temptation to give your life 
to the powers of this world. And Jesus knows that. That's what this prayer is about. To give your life to the busyness of it. Like that's, that's the whole like temptation, like every day that you walk out there in the world, there's a completely contrary story to the gospel that's saying you better work harder, you better measure up, you better prove yourself, you better gather some stuff for yourself, you better keep it going because if you don't, you're worthless. And we live in that story, we're mesmerized by it. Every day there's this, what's keeping you from being that old person of faith is the temptation to give your life to the anger of this world or to give your life to the entertainment of this world, to give your heart, soul, mind, strength to making a few corporations a few more dollars so that you can have a few more square feet. Like that's, that is the temptation and the lure of this, of this world, of the reality of, of where we live. You know, never before in the history of mankind have the wealthiest people also been the smartest people. I don't know if you ever think about that and how terrifying that is, but there used to be a time where the wealthy people weren't that smart. Like they were just kings and queens and stuff that were just biologically rich, right? Go with me here. So the richest people in the world right now are the smartest people. And never before have the smartest people and the wealthiest people had so many resources at their disposal to turn your life into a meandering mess of distraction. Like never before in the history of the world has there been so much money and resources dedicated to you to move your thumbs quickly and for your mind to become mush just for no other reason that like that's how you get to spend your life. And so this prayer is, is a pretty profound prayer of lead us away from the temptation and lead us to your kingdom. Just like that picture of a, of, of, you know, a military ready to march out into battle to seize the day, and they turn to their king and they say, you know, lead us out there into the actual battle. Lead us away from all of this other nonsense. And they are, you know, these, word, these prayers are, are plural, you know, like how did the church in Germany end up supporting and even holding up Nazis, you know? It's great, World War II, all the examples. Or how did the church in the South develop an entire theology around like generational property slavery? Like how did that happen? You know, there's so many examples throughout all of history, but here's, here's the thing. They stopped praying, lead us away from the powers of this world and lead us to your kingdom. They just gave up, like as the churches. They stop praying, Lord, get us away from evil and lead us into a kingdom of light. Lead us to the path of the kingdom where power is surrendered to give others life, where grace is freely given in the face of burdens, you know, where forgiveness is offered in the face of bitterness. Uh, the kingdom of Jesus, we want to be led to that, right? It's a desperation to the one who lived, who died, and who rose again. Those are the requests.